All right, and welcome to My Body, My Choice, My Voice. I'm Kelsey, and I'm so excited because I have Kasha here with me. She's a French and International Studies major at Seattle University, and welcome, Kasha. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so to start us off, I kind of just want to op- ask an open question. You know, why do you care about women's reproductive health or women's rights in general? Um... I think the obvious answer is because I'm a woman, I guess. Um, I think that, um, you know, having friends who have had children at young ages, having, um, like, a grown up in a kind of matriarchal sort of community, like, I really believe that women deserve it, deserve equal rights and equal treatment um, and responsibility of their, over their own bodies, so... Cool. <laughs> so you go to Seattle U now, but where are you from originally? I'm from Missoula, Montana. Uh, it's the second largest city in Montana. Nice. It's only 70,000 people. <laughs> so it's like not really a city, I would say. Um, very small town vibe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you live there your whole life before coming to Seattle? I did, yeah. So that's where you received most of your education? Yeah, pretty much all of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you go to, like, a public school, a private school? I went to public school. I went to um, elementary, middle, and high school, all public school. Okay. Um, And what did you feel like the health education was like there? Awkward. Awkward. (laughs) (laughs) It was just, like, I remember the first time we had, like, sex ed in elementary school. I think we were in, like fourth or fifth grade and it was just like they put all the girls in one room and all the boys in another room and it was just like really awkward like no one talked about it with each other I don't know I think in high school it got a little bit better but um I don't know still kind of uncomfortable yeah it's interesting how they separated you know Mm -hmm. like the both of those things because I think I kind of remember that too now it's coming back to me when I was in, like, fourth grade or something, we, like, all went to, like, the assembly room and, like, were, like, taught about periods. And then they, like, showed us what a pad was. (laughs) And it was, like, interesting. But also, like, why didn't the boys learn that either? I know. I mean, I think that they should have, for sure, because that's obviously something that they're going to, like, interact with throughout their lifetime if they ever have, like, a girlfriend Mm -hmm. or a girl, like, who's just a friend, like, Mm -hmm. anybody like that, like... Yeah. No, I, I think that the first time we had, like, sex ed with, like, girls and boys was in, like, eighth grade. Yeah. Um, so, like, four years later of having, like, health education. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like from what you know now in your college education experience versus what you learned then is, like, drastically different? Yeah, but I think mostly just because of personal ex- experience. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that, like, a lot of the stuff that I learned in school really helped me a lot I think that it was like my friends who volunteered with Planned Parenthood who were like um you know student teachers with Planned Parenthood like they really helped me but also like just like having to go to Planned Parenthood myself Mm -hmm. and like talk to my friends about like other things like it was mostly just like personal experience like school didn't really teach me that much yeah um did you grow up in a religious family at all no, <laughs> definitely not. So you didn't feel like you had any boundaries around that when when learning about, like, your body? No, I think that my family, I think I had a really unique experience because a lot of my, like, aunts, kind of really close family friends were midwives. And, like, mm. so they, like, I had an introduction to reproductive health, but it, like, wasn't, like, 
was mostly about like pregnancy health and like how to stay healthy or like what's a healthy birth kind of thing not so mm. much like the pre- like the school was more for like the preventative mm-hmm. measures but yeah more how to <laughs> have a chi- how to have a healthy child yeah <laughs> if you <laughs> are going to conceive yeah that's or like natural like remedies like I learned from one of my like really close family friends papaya is actually used to like prevent pregnancy Whoa. in like southern America like little things like that different like different cultures have different ideas mm-hmm. around that that's interesting mm-hmm. and so you said that you've been to Planned Parenthood correct yeah multiple times multiple times <laughs> um and tell us about those experiences like what were they like were they helpful yeah um emotional difficult and definitely helpful all, all at once um a few different experiences I think the first time I went to Planned Parenthood um I was the first it was after the first time I ever had sex it mm-hmm. was like a not it was like a pregnancy scare kind of mm-hmm. but like not like that it instigated me to go to Planned Parenthood to talk about birth control mm-hmm. um so, so like that was obviously a really good thing and then I would like go consecutively because I was on birth control for a long time mm-hmm. um and then I like one of my first experiences here in Seattle at Planned Parenthood I actually got um diagnosed with chlamydia oh no um which was the most emotional and horrible day of my life did Um, they give you antibiotics for it yeah immediately but it was like like a friend from home told me that like I should get checked because like Mm -hmm. this other person who had slept with the same guy that Mm. I did had it and was like hey just like by the way you should Mm -hmm. probably go get checked and I did and they were like yeah, you'll probably have the results in, like, two weeks, but, like, three days later, the day of, like, my, my midterm, my theology oh, midterm, no. they were, like, <laughs> called me when I was in the bookstore, and they are like, hi, like, by the way, like, <laughs> you have this, like, um, you should tell anybody who you slept with lately, uh, here's your prescription, mm-hmm. go take it immediately, it should be gone in, like, seven days, and mm-hmm. I was, like, what? and yeah. I, I cried for so long. Yeah, and chlamydia is, like, the silent like one right where yeah. there's not a lot of symptoms for you to notice it so the only way only yeah. way you knew is because they t- he told you like you should get checked yeah it was the person i slept with didn't even tell me he didn't oh, even know okay um it was like a friend wow so like, like word like of mouth party yeah, yeah third party <laughs> um yeah no i didn't have any slim- symptoms as far as i could tell like mm-hmm. i couldn't i had no idea mm-hmm. and like i guess neither did he but it is it is one where like um if it goes on cured for too long it can affect your um your ovaries and your uterus Mm -hmm. um and your sexual reproduction Mm -hmm. organs so So you feel like they helped you with that in like a positive way like uh, emotionally I guess because obviously they (laughs) gave you the prescription yeah Yeah. I think that they they handled it really well and they were really supportive and she was like the woman on the phone was like you know this it's okay like it'll be gone in like a week you know like here's like I can talk to the other person if you want just like give them my number Mm -hmm. things like that like they were really nice about it um Mm -hmm. for sure but I was like so still yeah like still a stressful thing yeah yeah well thank you for sharing that and you mentioned before that you were also put on birth control at Planned Parenthood so Mm -hmm. what form of birth control were you put on I started with the pill, mm-hmm. um, and I took the pill for, like, I took it for, like, three or four years, um, even after, like, 
I only really had like consecutive sex for like a couple years mm-hmm. like I just stayed on it um and then I actually about a year ago stopped taking it um for close to six months because mm-hmm. I was like all right like I can't do this like my body was like it needs a break mm-hmm. um and now I have the implant um okay the I don't remember the technical term but mm-hmm. it'll last for like three years or something so. that's nice mm-hmm Thing. So, how many birth control methods can you name at the top of your head? <laughs> um, let's see. There's the the pill. There's the implant. The IUD. The Novo ring. Um, there's the patch. Mm-hmm. There's a shot. There's condoms. There's female condoms. Mm. There used to be sponges. I don't think people use those anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. There's that like. What's it called? Spermicide that uh-huh. isn't also really used anymore. Yeah. Um, I that's pretty much that's a pretty consecutive that? list. <laughs> I, I can't think of any other ones. I think there might be another one, but I'm not sure. No, yeah. That's like pretty much most of them. I feel like you did your research. <laughs> You've done your research yeah. before you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's like one thing that I think that my high school education contributed to was just like here's contraceptives mm-hmm. like use them but again they're all women contraceptives other than like a condom so like i don't know right right yeah yeah Biased do you f- a little bit so you feel like you learned mo- about most of those through your schooling or did you feel like you like a lot of that was like google searches um i think it was mostly like people that i knew coming into my health classes in high school mm. like as representatives from planned parenthood <laughs> oh. like teaching us about um the contraceptives that were offered because like even though they like touched on it within our like like school classroom it wasn't like the focus it was more like mm-hmm. you know I guess I, I guess it was in some regards but like obviously with the large um, emphasis on abst- abstinence mm-hmm. and like um, touching on STIs and touching on like touching on all of the things all the basics but mm-hmm. like them coming in and really just like listing all of these different options yeah that's really cool that they had someone from Planned Parenthood come to your high school Mm -hmm. because I can't even imagine that at my high school that that would be allowed because there were a lot of people at my high school that were very against that Mm -hmm. and so I guess I wasn't really around people who even talked about Planned Parenthood I didn't know what Planned Parenthood was until much later in my life probably but yeah that's like cool that you learned about that in high school (laughs) there was um there were students who there was like student representatives. Oh okay. Yeah. So oh, was, so they were involved with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like, cool. Yeah, separately. Yeah, um, do you feel like that your perceptions like now of birth control are different from when you were first learning about them, or like the side effects, or do you feel like they're pretty true to like what they tell you, if that makes sense? Yeah. Um, I don't think that. I don't know. I guess like <laughs> I don't think that. Um, any amount of like warning about like how the hormones will actually affect you really like gives it justice because mm-hmm. it's different for everyone. Right. Um. So like for a long time, I didn't think that birth control was doing anything to me like mentally or like emotionally, even though like it very obviously was. Um. Because I started them like, I started taking the pill when I think I was like sixteen or seventeen. So like I was like right in the middle of like puberty essentially right. and like my hormones were already insane like so like just adding that it didn't really feel like there was too much of a difference mm-hmm. um I definitely think that like um 
I don't know. I guess it's just like in it's an independent thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's very individualistic, like how they affect you. But um, mm-hmm. I guess like knowing that they can like affect your like what's it called um, emotions like that. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> it's emotions. good to like be aware of. Yeah. But yeah, kind of. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were talking about independence. So did you feel like? when you were accessing this that it was very much your decision your control or did you feel like there were other influences in your life that kind of pushed you a certain way or a certain direction when choosing these things um both Mm -hmm. I it was very independent like the whole like um like the final decision of me going into Planned Parenthood and getting birth control I didn't tell my parents about it I was way too scared even Mm -hmm. though like they would have been totally supportive which is Mm -hmm. I think I'm really lucky to be able to say that but um I did feel some pressure from my boyfriend like he was at the time like super terrified of being a dad and still like um multiple like a couple years later he still has the same um feelings like he's terrified of being a dad and it was like my responsibility almost to like Mm prevent him from being a dad Mm -hmm. um which I don't think is totally fair Mm -hmm. but and like he because I mean he's a great great person right great guy but (laughs) he didn't always want to wear a condom and so it was kind of like my responsibility and like I think that um a lot of the other guys that I've slept with too they don't like condoms like the dude who gave me chlamydia he was <laughs> I don't want to he slept around a lot is a good way of putting it um but he did not have condoms in his house mm-hmm. at all like it was like he was very against it which was really like like I think I was just really caught up in the moment to be like right necessarily aware of that at the time but like that's really shitty that's really fucked up Mm -hmm. like if you're gonna sleep around with women like at least be safe about it like um don't put their health at jeopardy because you want to affect yours that way Mm -hmm. like um yeah yeah so yeah I think it was outside pressures for sure um knowing that men aren't necessarily responsible for Mm -hmm. I mean some of them definitely are I'm not saying that all men aren't but most of the ones that I have slept with or been around um, aren't. (laughs) And I think that's a... I think people in Seattle, too, are more, I think, aware of it. Like, I think men in Seattle are a little bit more um, educated about it rather than, like, the people that I've interacted with at home. Um, Just in general, it doesn't really... Like, my hometown has this, like really weird reputation of having young moms like Mm. there are a lot of young moms which is not a not a like bad thing it's just that's a reality and Mm -hmm. the the fact that like I think for some of the cases it does come down to the fact that like men just didn't want to wear a condom too like whether or not like the woman was on birth control like sometimes like you can't control what happens but like I don't know Mm -hmm. I just don't think that they think about it as much yeah do you think a lot of that is attributed to just purely biology the fact that they they can't physically be get pregnant or or do you think it's more of a a social thing that's just happened over time due to biology or do you think they're separate I think it's kind of 
I don't know if it's like due to biology. I think it's more of a social thing, and I think it's for a lot of the a lot of the men that I know, it's about pleasure um, mm-hmm. because it's more pleasurable for them to not wear a condom. They kind of feel like they have that right, um, and then the biology would come into play because they can't actually get pregnant as mm-hmm. well. So. Yeah, I've heard that argument, too, where it's like, you know, they favor that pleasure, but also if they're going to put any pressure or blame on you, then, you know, <laughs> they should wear a condom. Um, obviously, if they're not going to put any pressure on you for anything, you know, then it's like a consensual thing in that way. But mm-hmm. So do you think that men should hold more responsibility than they, at least the men in your life, that ha- currently have? I, yeah. I think so. I think, I mean, even just, like, the smallest, like, bit of responsibility of having, if you have any intent of sleeping with me or any other woman, like, have a condom. Even if, like, you're not, like, mm-hmm. if you both decide that you don't want to, then that's, that's fine. your yeah. choice, but have one still. Like, mm-hmm. that's, I think, basic. Like, mm-hmm. that's really, like, minimal amount of effort. Like... Um, which still seems to be such a huge step for so many, for so many <laughs> men. And I also think it's just like, I don't know, it's unfair to assume that women are just going to be on birth control as well, like mm-hmm. to not have a condom because like, oh, you're on birth control, right? Mm-hmm. What if I'm not? Like, th- what then? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> And also most birth control doesn't protect against like sexually transmitted no, infections. <laughs> um, whereas... Yeah, because, like, the pill is super effective for most things, but it doesn't protect against that, you mm-hmm. know. So, and that's a reason why condoms, whether or not you want to get pregnant or not, should still be used yeah, for that reason. <laughs> also, just, like, being honest about your, like, sexual health, too. Mm-hmm. Like, if you have had an STI or if you haven't, like, I think that's a really important conversation. And I, like, it's a conversation that I personally don't have as often as I should but now that this like has it like affected me the way that it has like Mm -hmm. being diagnosed with chlamydia like having that and have it be my responsibility to inform the guy that he has it and like Mm -hmm. finding out like a year later that he actually got it again like I Mm -hmm. don't know it's just it's really frustrating for me to like know this like information like really basic like skill to prevent these things and it's just still not like registered in like the memory or like something Mm -hmm. do you think that a lot of that has an effect um or due to the education system as we were talking about before Mm -hmm. that maybe we didn't talk about stis as often as we should have or we didn't really explain the importance or do you think people just don't really understand the importance until it happens to them Um, I think that the way that we talk about STIs in school is, like, they're this really scary and, like, kind of taboo thing, like, Mm -hmm. you, and, but also makes it sound like they're not very common, like, Mm -hmm. chlamydia and gonorrhea. Oh, wait, that one's super common. And herpes, they're so common. And even, I mean, even, like, the bigger, the worst ones, they're more common than we think they are, Mm -hmm. like, um, and I think, like, it's really important to, like, share that like factual Mm -hmm. evidence that they are you know common and that they are easy to get Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they make it I don't know if it was them like school specifically but it's you kind of have this like 
feeling in your mind, like this thought process that, oh, that couldn't happen to you. Like, you're smart, right? Right. But the moment that it does, it really just, like, I don't know. It. I mean, I think it really changed my opinion on them. Um, not. But at the same time, it's, like, still, like, the the conversation around STIs is still so, like, kind of taboo and kind of, like, this, like, it's almost like a myth. Like, mm-hmm. STIs yeah. are, like, a myth. Like, you it's just like really this, don't yeah. think that they're going to happen. It's like this distant thing that doesn't really register yeah. in your mind as something that's real. No, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, even, I have to, like, say, like, even after, like, being diagnosed with an STI, like, being terrified of having sex for a few months, like, because yeah. that's a really scary thing, I still somehow ended up in, a like, a couple situations where I still wasn't being very smart sexually, like, mm-hmm. which... I'm, you know, that's on me and that's on the other person. But I mean, and I was lucky and I didn't end up getting another STI, but it is, like I said, like this sort of myth. Like even after it happens, there's still this like, it's like you just like go back Mm. to before and you just like go back to this like kind of ignorant thought process to like this can't touch you, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think like not to make like, not to like make them sound worse than they are, Mm -hmm. not to demonize them, but I think that like, just making them sound like normal mm-hmm. like and also just like i don't know yeah i creating think, a conversation around them is yeah. important i think a lot of it happens is that we go to the extreme of creating like this fear mm-hmm. which not that it shouldn't necessarily be fear but that when you create it as something this huge thing like an sti is easily treated mm-hmm. you know but i think if we tell people like these are very common you know you can there are preventative measures you can do so you don't get one mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily something you should be super afraid of it's just you know taking that step and i think though fear is a motivator for a lot of people I think we shouldn't necessarily use scare tactics when talking about these because I think in some ways, at least for me, like, I think when people try to use those kind of tactics, I, I kind of push it down in a sense as if it doesn't exist. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, I don't really like face it up front. I kind of just, you know, goes over my head, you know, it's not important. It won't happen to me. Like you were saying, Mm -hmm. um, when it gets that extreme but I feel like if it was spoken to me as not something super extreme I would be like okay like these are things I can do that are not super hard or drastic measures I need to take in my life that are just equally as effective so yeah Yeah, I think just like (laughs) taking like a practical approach kind of just like not like a I don't know like you said not making them sound so scary but also error it sounds so much like a taboo like just being like open to the Mm -hmm. conversation or like to the reality of it you know like and Mm -hmm. it's too like going along with that fear like i mean we like our brains intentionally sometimes forget trauma and so like sometimes like things can be traumatizing like learning about like syphilis like that can be traumatizing like (laughs) or when you you might just like forget about it and like you know we don't fully understand our brain's thought process so like I don't know yeah yeah. I feel like sometimes reading symptoms can freak people out I mean it freaks me out webmd.com <laughs> <laughs> and that's where that's where whenever like I feel anything I immediately like Google terrified that. yeah no I um I like get like 
clogged sweat glands in the crease of my leg. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, what they are. Mm-hmm. I went into Planned Parenthood to make sure that they Did were Did you thought they were bumps? <laughs> like- I thought I had herpes. <laughs> and I get, like, I get coughs, cough, uh, what are they called? Cold sores on my lips, like, yeah. every once in a while. So I was like, oh, my God, what is happening? Yeah. No. And that was a total result of the internet telling me that there was something mm-hmm. so much more yeah. wrong with me than there actually was. Like, they are yeah. sweat glands. <laughs> yeah. And also, the herpes 1 virus, which is what cold sores are, super common. Like, I've gotten them before. Mm-hmm. Like, and those aren't anything, like, drastic. Like, they usually heal up. Yeah. But it, it's freaky when someone calls them herpes because we have in this, our brain, because there's separate types of herpes. is like, genital herpes and then... You know, just like on your mouth herpes, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're very different things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the like awareness of like the separation of the two, or like just like the the like education around like what is herpes like mm-hmm. two is like I don't know frustrating. I feel like herpes specifically was like a bad word when I was like oh my god in, it like, totally was I remember that I remember I feel like people would throw that word around like kind of loosely yeah. <laughs> but like not explaining something accurate they'd be like oh do you have herpes like whenever you had any problem as if there aren't like a billion other like technical terms that are more accurate <laughs> they'd yeah. be like oh yeah herpes totally oh, yeah, herpes. <laughs> yeah like looking at i remember getting a cold sore for like the first time when i was like 14 and my friends were like you have mouth herpes i was like no it's just a cold sore <laughs> and it's just like bacteria like it it's just like <laughs> stress-induced bacteria yeah. clogging a gland like it's not really that big a deal <laughs> yeah yeah so we're gonna move it a little bit into talking about sexual consent which relates to education mm-hmm. and how we do we talk about consent how do we teach it and just our general understanding mm-hmm. so do you think in the u.s specifically that there is that people understand consent or understand the difference between that and sexual misconduct um I don't think that it's fully understood the difference between consent and, like, sexual... Mis- I think that, like, consent is, like, very clearly can be defined as, like, a yes. Like, that, yes, I want to do this. Yes, both parties are, like, great with this option, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but a lot of the time, like, that's just not what happens. Like, and I remember learning about consent and, like, it wasn't, like, a clear yes. It was just, like, yeah, you you want to, like, like... You say, like, that's okay or something like that, Mm -hmm. but that's okay is not the same as yes. Like, it's, like, um, I think, I don't know. I don't remember learning too much about consent, honestly. I think that when I learned about consent, it was because, um, like, friends that I had had been, like, sexually um, abused or, like, Mm -hmm. after myself being sexually, like, assaulted, like, things like that. Mm -hmm. Like, that's really, like, what... Um, reinforce this concept of consent like once it was mm. personal right um, yeah. and I think that's how a lot of people try to connect to it even if they may have not experienced it personally they try to that's the only way they can really imagine mm-hmm. it is like oh someone I know has been affected by this but it's like very common especially like on college campuses for instance and like especially with like Greek life it's always talked about, like, mm-hmm. you know, does it matter if someone's intoxicated? Does it matter if both parties are intoxicated? And how we perceive that. Um, and I think the conversation around that has been super disoriented. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, going yeah. along with that, too, I think the first time that, I feel like, how they taught us consent um, in Montana is the legal age of consent. They taught they taught us like that 18 six, 16, or 16, in Montana yeah, it's 16. Yeah. It used to be... 18 for boys and 16 for girls 
which I thought was really um, messed up because mm. girls could be younger and yeah. still legally consent to having sex um, with someone older than them, um, which I think is, you know, <laughs> debatable. Um, but it wasn't about, like, the like clear yes or this clear no. It was mm-hmm. about age. Like, are you old enough? And I remember, like... And also, who defines, like, what is old enough yeah, to have exactly. sex? <laughs> um, if, we're fo- if we're talking, like, full physical and mental development, you should wait until you're 26. Like Yeah, because, like, to be honest, like, me as a 16-year-old is, like, like maturity-wise for things like that is probably not up to par of, no. like, maybe where I am now in my life. Um, no, and I probably not. very common for most 16-year-olds that maybe they're not super educated about all this yet and maybe they're not comfortable. But that doesn't... I mean, it is to say, like, you know, there are people younger that mm-hmm. do, yeah. like, have Consent, sex. Yeah. 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 Do you think there's something that, you know, the media or policymakers could do to better the conversation? I think... I think that there's at least a few of them who have been... I mean, I can't think of any specifics but um i think that there's like a few who are like very like clear on at least like sexual misconduct Mm -hmm. um and like you know you can still sexually assault someone and it may not be defined as rape Mm -hmm. it may not be our like social recognition of rape but Mm -hmm. it is still like sexual misconduct like Mm -hmm. you still can't do that Mm -hmm. you can't touch her there like you can't Mm -hmm. you don't have a right to her body kind of thing like Mm -hmm. um but I think that the and I think that plays into the conversation of consent. Um, but I think that this like clear yes, like this notion of a clear like yes, I mm-hmm. want to like I'm not intoxicated, I'm not like blinded by some other drug or who knows what. Um, I think that's still a, a conversation that needs to be had more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting too because um, you know there's a lot of like people are attracted to this like mystery where maybe there's not always a clear yes and like how how do we navigate something like that where maybe like you know neither of you is like sexually aroused by full yes and but like where does that become a problem and is that a problem Mm -hmm. you know like how people communicate because everyone has different levels of like how they engage in sexual activity and Mm -hmm. how their consent for them works so, but that's where it gets really complicated. Yeah. Well, I think that too, like, that comes back from just, like, family and, like, education, like, education around sex. Like, how comfortable are you to talk about sex? Mm-hmm. Like, how comfortable comfortable do you feel, like, being naked in front of someone else? Like, mm-hmm. things like that. Like, I think that really plays into the conversation of, like, a clear yes as well. Like, mm-hmm. how open we are as, like, a society or, like, culture or whatever mm-hmm. towards these things is really important as well. Like, um like as a, like a foundational concept to yeah. consent for sure yeah what do you think the media's role is in improving like topics around consent or just women's health in general do you think they have a role yeah i think the media really frustrates me because i think that um there's still this like i think that it's all just very like kind of corrupt at this point like i really think like our beauty standards play into this concept of like sexual um sexualizing women like sexualizing Mm -hmm. even men like we sexualize so many different things like especially the media like um and I think that I think that that really plays into this like you know just greater concept of sexual misconduct and consent like Mm -hmm. I think that they play a larger role than 
I think they realize, or maybe they know and they just don't do anything about Mm -hmm. it. I think, like, I don't know. I think spreading, like, the conversation, if there's, like, a situation where someone is sexually assaulted by someone else, instead of, like, describing what they were wearing or, like, Mm. describing, like, the situation, like, the time of night or the darkness of the alley or something like that, Mm -hmm. instead of that, like, focus on what actually happened, Mm -hmm. like, like, this dude came out of nowhere, grabbed her, and assaulted her, or... They went on a date, and she didn't want to, mm-hmm. and he still did. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, like, I think just, like, showing the, like, realities of it is mm-hmm. so much more important than dramatizing it. Like, right, right. Or, like, Hollywoodizing it. Like, in Hollywood, I think in movies, like, rape and sexual assault and sexual misconduct, just, like, all those things, like, I think it's just overdone like it doesn't show mm. the reality i think that i think it really, yeah i think it s- makes it this like huge mm-hmm. which it's a huge thing but it makes it this like very like um just dramatized like this huge like setup like this guy's like following her like things like that it's just like i don't know and sometimes i think cases of sexual assault are tend to be smaller in the sense not to lessen anyone's experience or trauma but in the sense that like it could be someone they're in a relationship with mm-hmm. and they could be assaulted by them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's not talked about enough that and people are like, well, they were in a relationship, so, like, therefore, like, it's not rape. But if, you know, if one of the partners does not want to have sex, it is. Yeah. Like, no matter what, like, it is. And so I think engaging in topics like that, because I think sometimes in home like rape is much more common a lot of times than maybe an instance where you know there's some guy on the street that's following you which not that that doesn't also happen but I think that's also not talked about and also you were talking about like the clothes like it doesn't matter what someone's wearing like whatever someone's wearing does not consent to anything and so I think like you were saying like Hollywood tends to really only to, like, show the really dramatic, like, someone sneaking in or something, and not the cases that happen a lot, which tends to be in partnerships, but we don't talk about that kind of assault. Yeah, non-stranger. Yeah. Non-stranger sexual misconduct. Yeah, um, my hometown, actually, Missoula, was uh, ranked the um, top rank, like, rape, had, like, the top uh, percentage of like rape in the nation at one point in time and like how do they how do they calculate that do you know (laughs) like times rated it i don't Mm. know how accurate it was yeah new york times or like times magazine it was one of the two um but it was because of like all of these like sexual assaults kept happening from the football team Mm. in my hometown at the university and there's these huge scandals these huge like these are like very like clearly like non like non-stranger like sexual misconducts like and the people like the men who are committing these crimes like they really didn't get any repercussions whatsoever and the towns ended up like my hometown ended up shaming these victims like these mm-hmm. survivors of these like sexual assaults and like there was very clear evidence against two of the major like um uh cases and it's just it's just ridiculous it was like one of them was our star football um quarterback mm-hmm. and the entire town sided with him and shamed her mm. which 
I don't even know if she still lives there. And he turned out to be a um, student teacher at my high school, like, two years later. Mm. And I was like, okay. Blame. Put <laughs> on the woman. Love that. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, that's interesting that, that your town was rated that. I think a lot of that could have to do with... Um, reported cases mm-hmm. so maybe there's a yeah. higher ranking of reported cases but in my when you said that it made me think of well I'm sure there's probably a lot of other talents out there that maybe has a higher rate technically but mm-hmm. maybe the woman was too ashamed or afraid to go out and say anything yeah and definitely. which happens all the time yeah and I, I was thinking you know maybe a more conservative state where it's not talked about as much or it's more ashamed on the woman that maybe it does happen more there, but it's just not talked about mm-hmm. or not reported, like, so no one knows about it. And so, yeah. yeah. And I am from a more, I'm from a red state, but my, my town is like a blue dot in red state. Right. And it was interesting. Um, if you read the book Missoula by John Krakauer, um, which is, this, <laughs> I have a whole, I have so many opinions on this book, mm-hmm. but he does a really good job of, like, just showcasing the problem that happens not only in, my hometown but in college towns across the united states mm-hmm. um like the hunting ground is another it's really intense movie but it also talks about like this like sexual misconduct on um college campuses mm-hmm. but in the book he talked about how like once one um survivor came out like it caused like two or three others mm-hmm. from the same like from the same like predator to like talk about it themselves yeah and, like I think that that was really the the reciprocal. What's, the, the, <laughs> what's it called? It's like the the. I know what you're saying, the, but I can't. Yeah, think of I it. can't um, think of the word. It's just like the ripple yeah. effect. That's what it's yeah, called. The ripple yeah. effect of one one feeling confident, it can sometimes inspire others too. Too. Yeah, and I also think it's important to mention that you know. In these cases, I don't think any woman, if it happens to them, is required to say anything. No, I don't because think I think so everyone's either. trauma is a very personal thing, and I think everyone deals with it in a different way. Um, and although I think it is important for people to speak out about it if they feel comfortable doing so, then we know it's happening and it brings more attention to it so people know it's an issue. But also, I don't think anyone should feel shamed for not saying anything because, no. you know. You know, I wouldn't want attention on me for something like that. Um, you know, it's I don't think anyone wants to come out and say it because people don't want to be known as that person. Yeah. It's usually just because the people who are, like, who do come out and say it, it's good. But, you know, I'm sure they're not, they're not always, like, super confident in doing it. And so I think um, definitely I think it's a very personal decision I don't think it should be no any, yeah. <laughs> anyone's blame because it's no one it's not any of their faults for it happening no that's so yeah. important too it's like it's not it's not your fault it's not our fault it's not anyone's fault that this happened to you like it's the person who did it mm-hmm. it's fault like they're responsible mm-hmm. and I think that it's like going along with that like obviously like it is everyone's personal decision to speak or not mm-hmm. but I think that as a culture society we also can't disqualify the ones who don't like mm-hmm. we can't disqualify the women who decide women or men who decide to or non-binary like anyone yeah. who's affected yeah. by this like who decide to speak up and who decide not to like mm-hmm. saying like oh this doesn't happen because this this and this person like these things didn't happen like mm-hmm. no one said this like why didn't you speak up 10 years ago like it's 
sorry, I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't, shouldn't feel required. Yeah. And you shouldn't feel, um, I guess you just sh- shouldn't face, like, disqualification or, like, mm-hmm. um, repercussions when you decide to either. Yeah. And with the Harvey Weinstein case that came out, I think the woman, like, she didn't come out about it till years later, and she got so much backlash from that. And they were like, why didn't you say it then? But it's like, this is a scary thing. And also, he was a person with a lot of money and power and position. And in that circumstance, it's like, who's going to win here, you know? And so I think she, she, like, had a lot of fear, and she shouldn't be blamed for that. And people were like, well, if it was important, like, then, like, why is it important now? Um, Which and, I think is ridiculous. You know, it's always been important. Mm-hmm. Like, but obviously, I think, you know, people became more comfortable once more people started speaking out. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a crazy topic. <laughs> it's overwhelming because it's just so prevalent right now. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, in the past like two years, I think like with all of the Hollywood like accusations and women coming out and speaking out and like all these. Um, you know, really, like, that's awesome. Like, I'm really, pr- I'm so proud of all those women who did, like, decide to come out. Like, that's incredible for them. But, like, I also think that, like, like shining a light on this bigger issue is obvious. Like, it's important. But I mm-hmm. also don't think that Hollywood or, I don't know. I just don't think that, I just, I, I guess I'm just thinking of this article that I saw the other day of, like, a man producer, director, whatever, deciding to create a TV show about the Harvey Weinstein, like, sex assaults. And I was like, all right, that's not okay. Like, mm. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like, like, like there's it would still really depend on how... Yeah. To be made. It would really depend on how he went about that. Because I, I could see it going wrong in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, maybe it could be helpful. It's really, it's a really hard thing to do to script a show about that. Something like that. Yeah. Um, so... I'm curious. I'm I, I'm critical and curious, yeah. but you're not <laughs> not necessarily gonna tear it down. Yeah. Something that I don't know, but with that also with consent, I think people don't realize a lot of times there's repercussions of rape instances. Yeah, you know, definitely. especially when it comes to there could be the possibility of an unwanted pregnancy happening mm-hmm. in that case, or even an infection being transferred by the rapist. Um, and that just, it goes into a cycle, like, kind of like you were saying, mm-hmm. a ripple effect of, you know, other reproductive health concerns happening and them not, but them feeling too traumatized to get it treated or to reach out and get support because of this instance. They're, they're just too afraid to, you know, help about, yeah. to even talk about it. They'd be like, oh, well, who is the father? And that's a huge, if, you know, if you were raped by someone... Yeah, that's a hard thing to talk about if you already maybe don't even want to talk about that. But it's if it's very obvious that you're pregnant, then how do you deal with that emotionally and physically? Because, you know, you have you physically have a fetus. And so with biological ties <laughs> to your predator. Right. And I think that it plays into so many problems and into the topic of abortion, because an instance like that, you know, but maybe the woman doesn't want to have an abortion. Maybe she does. Um, but where is she going to find those resources to have a safe abortion? And mm-hmm. um, are those resources even there? Like, is that an option? And I think that's... I think people don't realize sometimes um, that trauma can carry on. And so if you're having a child from the perpetrator, um, you know, I think it'd be hard for 
a parent to completely separate that. Like, obviously, you probably have this newfound love for this child because they're just this new being on the earth. But, you know, there was a father at some point who you don't have nice feelings for. And how do you? And it just kind of is a cycle, like, as you're saying. And it's a really hard thing. Um, And that's why we should, at least in my opinion, have more access to abortion care and not even just for that purpose it's just be there for anyone but yeah <laughs> no i um i recently was just looking at news articles and iowa just passed a, a law that limits abortions to six weeks into the present pregnancy and that's not very long time no. Most people and don't some, know they're pregnant some, yeah. until, like, 10 weeks yeah. or 12 weeks. Yeah, you like, could not even know. Yeah. Which I think it's it's called the, what's it called, the, the heartbeat, like, condition or something. It's, like, if you can have, like, if you can, like, detect a heartbeat, then obviously your baby is a baby and not just a fetus. Like, I just think that, I think it's just ridiculous because there is... A constitutional <laughs> arrangement, <laughs> Roe v. Wade, that allows us this right, but is completely disregarded mm-hmm. by so many states, so many people, which, I mean, I think that if you are, you know, for example, if you're Catholic and it doesn't align with your faith, then, then just, you then just don't, you have, don't one. have to. Yeah. Like, that's, like good for you like you feel so proud of your faith that you're not gonna do this but like also just like don't prevent other people because of the way that you feel about it like it is a personal choice Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that everyone is gonna go and get an abortion like the rate of people getting abortion i feel like is actually i don't know the numbers but i think it's actually a lot lower than what the media portrays it as or like conservative media portrays it as Mm -hmm. um and i think that just like I don't think that having an option of this thing, like, having that option available to you, I don't mm-hmm. think that encourages you to get one no, at all. I think no. it just allows you uh, yeah. <laughs> to, like, decide mm-hmm. whether or not you want to be a mother right mm-hmm. now, whether or not you are ready for this. And I think that a lot of the time adoption is used as a counter-argument, like, oh, you can just, like, give your baby up for adoption. But, like, if it, we're going to do that, we need to improve our adoption, adoption process. process. Yeah. yeah the, you know, in this country, it's like, hard to adopt, and it takes a long time. <laughs> it takes so yeah. long, and like even like the foster system, there's and so that's many not super imp- great. Yeah, like, there's so many imperfections. <laughs> yeah, like, there's just like if you are going to advocate for this quote unquote child when they are eight weeks along or six weeks along mm-hmm. in their biological mother's womb, that's like not even really a thing yet. You are mm-hmm. the size of a like (laughs) I think that you have to advocate for the full-sized babies and Mm -hmm. the Mm full-sized children teenagers and adults who will be living with the effects of being you know going through the foster system going through the adoption system going through you know whatever repercussions can come from that mother not actually wanting that Mm -hmm. child Mm -hmm. and there's still so many children in those systems um you know, that don't have the support that they need. And, you know, we can't talk about an unborn child without taking care of the existing children on this planet. You know, there are so many people who don't have safe homes or families, um, you know. So I think there are deeper Mm -hmm. political, social issues that we have to work out first. Um, And that's why it should just be an option. And again, like you were saying, you know, 
I don't think, yeah, no one's like, I can't wait to get an abortion. I hope, <laughs> yeah, like, I think, and if you don't believe that, that in abortion, then that can just be for you. You in no way are required to get an abortion. Like, this is your body. You can make that decision. And I think people get confused sometimes. Well, they're like, oh, you're not pro-life. It's like, no, I'm not necessarily against someone having a baby if that's their decision. Like, I just think you should have the option if that's not, that's not. And I feel like people have a hard time sometimes separating that. Um, And they get really focused on the death of this unborn egg. Um, And it it gets really confusing. Can you even, like, qualify it as a death, though? Like, is Mm -hmm. it really, like, I think the language around it, too, is just so important. Mm -hmm. Like, pro-life versus, like, what does that even mean? Like, Mm -hmm. pro-life? Like, are you pro this fetus becoming a life what are you going to do to protect that life after once it's, it's born po- after it's born, <laughs> like is yeah. it going to be able to eat is it going to be able to like exactly. have like an education and like <laughs> also i think something that we don't always consider too is like what happens to the mother after the baby's born like so many women suffer from postpartum depression mm-hmm. like that's like it's ridiculous like there's so like we don't i've seen conversations about the the fourth trimester you know, because there's three main trimesters throughout a pregnancy, three months mm-hmm. throughout the nine months. If if you, you people understand this, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but there's another there's another like conversation around this fourth trimester after the baby is born, where the mother still needs just as much support as she did during that last that third trimester, like leading into giving birth. Like, so many women are still not given the support that they need mm-hmm. when they first have a baby, let alone like. Being a mother, it's so hard to be a single mom in this country specifically, but also just, like, around the world, too. Mm-hmm. Not all places, but in a lot of places, you really, like, being a mom is so important, but if you're a single mom, you have to be everything. And, like, even if you're a single dad, like, you have to be everything. And it's really difficult. Like, we really don't give single parents, we don't give mothers, or, like... I mean, even, like, new fathers, we don't really give them a chance to, like, live up to their full opportunity of being, Mm -hmm. like, a mom or a dad. And then we become critical of Mm -hmm. mothers and fathers, like, especially young mothers and fathers who, like, maybe didn't have a choice to be parents, but, like, need, like, support in it still. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't, like, drop someone just be like, you can't not support someone just because you don't agree with their decision to either have a child young Mm -hmm to not have a child to just all these different things like I think just it's very rooted in our society that we just don't really support each other Mm -hmm. but especially new moms like Mm -hmm. I don't know I just there needs to be I think that's because historically we're we've been taught about like the nuclear family of what a family should look like and there's so many different types of families and types of ways that people live that you know people are like oh this like single parent like that they're like oh so different therefore must fear this person and not help them instead of realizing you know hey there's so many different circumstances there's so many different ways of life etc yeah (laughs) but But even in the nuclear family like that doesn't really support new moms yeah that means that you are a mom full-time you stay at home and you take care of the children but that doesn't mean you're being supportive I think that that mm-hmm. is just like I think that's just a I don't know just a counter-argument <laughs> to the nuclear family yeah. I just I don't agree with the nuclear family yeah but so 
when moving forward, looking at your own life and everyone, anyone else's life, do you have any advice for anyone out there when it comes to dealing with sex, sexual health, reproductive health concerns, or just dealing with health care providers, whether that be primary care, care or with Planned Parenthood? Mm-hmm. Just any advice or general thoughts you'd like to share? I think just, like, I think one of the biggest things that I struggle with, like, that maybe other people do too is just like being open to conversations Mm -hmm. about sex being open to conversations in general like being open to having discussions over things that make you uncomfortable is Mm -hmm. something I think that is important it's an important skill to have for any subject but particularly like sex like I think that if you can talk about sex like that really increases your chances to getting into like I don't know. I don't know if I should say that it would increase your chances. I think that it would just, like, help. I guess in my own personal opinion, mm-hmm. for me, I feel like if I can talk about sex comfortably or, like, even just, like, somewhat comfortably with, like, the opposite sex or, like, just another person, mm-hmm. then I think that I can have a more open discussion about consent with a possible partner. Right. And I think that that will ultimately, like... <laughs> hopefully like limit the chances of being sexually assaulted or having some sort of sexual misconduct happen to me or also anyone else like like I personally would never want to be the cause of any sexual misconduct and that's like something I strive for and I would never want someone else to be the cause of sexual misconduct for anyone else like Mm -hmm. I don't think yeah I just it's just not good in general (laughs) um but I think just like normalizing the conversation around sex like you don't have to you don't have to talk about it but I think that it's important to be able to like Mm -hmm. um because ultimately when it comes down to it if you're gonna have sex with someone you have to talk about it like and like if you can talk about it even with just your friends it might give you a little bit Mm -hmm. more of a it helps talking about it space to be able to yeah like you said like even though it's uncomfortable sometimes the, I think the more you do it, the more easy it becomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can comfortably talk about it with a close friend where maybe you might feel more comfortable having a conversation with than maybe a new partner, for instance, where mm-hmm. especially if it's very new and you don't know them very well, um, I think it definitely helps just having that practice in a sense, like yeah. <laughs> just having, you know, the terminology and just knowing yourself, knowing your body. And I think it's important. Being open to it and then also knowing boundaries, I think, mm-hmm. is really important. Because not, I mean, not everyone is open to talking about it. Not everyone is open about sex, like, just in general. Like, I think, like, obviously we should have these conversations, mm-hmm. but also, like, we can't force them. Like, yeah. I think with consent, I think if you were going to have sex with someone and, like, they, like don't ask for consent then maybe you should force that like yes in there or no like if you really want to but in general like you can't force someone to talk about their sexual health or like history and I think that that's also important to keep in mind is just like boundaries are important Mm -hmm. but with that like respect the boundaries of other like people with their bodies as well like don't go like (laughs) touching someone because Mm -hmm. they look cute in that skirt like that's dumb (laughs) (laughs) blatantly but (laughs) we'll end it there (laughs) perfect (laughs) well thank you so much kasha um 
you have said some really interesting things and I'm so thankful that you were able to share these things and feel comfortable sharing with me and anyone who potentially listens. Um, and so I'll end it out by saying, you know, if you do care about these things and you, you want to share or talk about it, reach out to your local senators or congressmen, write you know, write them, go to senate.gov. It'll tell you exactly how every, I'm going to reiterate this at every episode just to repeat it because I think it's important to repeat. And then, like Kasha was saying, visit Planned Parenthood, um, you know, or go to your healthcare provider if that's something that you have access to. Definitely reach out to those providers. And I'm really glad that we could open the conversation. And thank you for listening. Thanks and thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs>